Welcome to the Wisconsin Football Coaches Podcast with your hosts, Tom Swiddle, Tom Yashinsky, and Paul Nowinski. Now let's join the guys. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wisconsin Football Coaches Association Podcast. I'm Tom Swiddle, head football coach at Wauwatosi's High School and past president of the WFCA, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tom Yashinsky, head coach at Onalaska and WFCA region rep, and Paul Novinsky, former head coach at Mosini and a WFCA Hall of Famer. Gentlemen, how are you doing tonight? Doing great, Tom. Thanks for uh, thanks for starting us off with another episode. And, uh, you know, we're getting ready for some sectional girls basketball this week, some regional boys. So it's just great to see the winter sports in full swing and, and uh, heading towards a, a spring clinic in about a month. Great time of year. Paul? I'm doing great. We got a lot of snow and ice up here. Our high school hockey team made it to state, so I'll be down in Madison on Thursday chaperoning. Love getting a free ticket to watch our kids play and uh, excited about today's topic. I, I've had so much feedback uh, from coaches that just want to know what's going on and excited to talk to Melissa and get the process started. Well, fantastic. And with that, we're we're going to begin in this podcast, we're going to continue our discussion of conference realignment, one that began on episode two with Doug Sarver. Doug was the head of the 2019 WFCA-led football-only conference committee. As a quick summary of the last podcast, the WFCA, with the blessing of the WIAA, undertook the task of bringing uniformity to all of the football conferences in the state of Wisconsin. Some of the key points we discussed last time. Realignment is driven by a school's ability to make the football playoffs. Uniformity means the sizes of conferences are the same and the number of conferences, uh, excuse me, the number of conference game school play are the same. Football-only conferences were not intended to give schools who cannot compete in their conference relief, although it did work out that way for some. And about 6% of the schools, around 25 total, were not happy and didn't approve of the football-only conferences, although there may have been more who didn't speak out. Schools were told that they would have the opportunity to make a formal request in two years for realignment to a WIAA task force. And that is where we are right now. Schools have made formal requests to the WIAA for realignment. Last time was headed by the WFCA. Now it is led to the W led by the WIAA. And with us tonight is someone who can make help us make sense of all this. We have with us Melissa Gearing, WIAA Assistant Director and the Liaison to the Realignment Task Force. Melissa, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I'd like to start, Melissa, by giving our listeners some of your background, which will explain probably how you got stuck with this task of being on the realignment committee or realignment task force to begin with. Um, you are a teacher and an administrator at Beaver Dam High School. While at Beaver Dam, you are on the WIAA Sports Advisory and the WIAA Conference Realignment Task Force. And you were also a District 6 rep for WADA. You also worked on several national committees for different things. And right now, currently for the WIAA, you work with gymnastics, track and field, and volleyball, and you handle all of the administrative duties of conference realignment. I don't think you've got enough going um, right now, Melissa. You might want to add some things to your, your job description. And I'd like to ask the first question, if I could. Is it fair to say that the schools who didn't approve of the football-only conferences in 2019 are the ones that have filed a formal request for realignment presently? I would say in 2019, so this is our second go-around with the task force for football. So I would say the very first time, for sure, it would have been um, – whoever did not approve of where they were at, I think right away when they know uh, when the conference realignment uh, process gets done and they know right away, I think people know immediately in that two years time, they're going to be applying two years from now. I think they have that, that feeling and that vibe. I think some people would like to see it actually extend four years so you could really get a handle on things and it's not as much switching. Um, and as you know, the people that are 
you know, unhappy, they'd like to get it switched right away. But uh, two years is where we landed. And yes, I believe that it started with the people who were unhappy with the first plan. And then we rolled through it a second time. And now we're on to our, our third go round with it. Paul? Yeah, Melissa, thanks for coming on this. I just also want to note that you were a two-sport athlete at University of Eau Claire, weren't you? Yes, I was. Good for you. That's a, <laughs> you guys that's are a, making me feel good here. So now I'm waiting for the questions to really come uh, at me. Well, <laughs> yeah. my, my question is this. Can you tell our listeners who is on this task force? Who are the members of the task force? Yeah, that's a great question. So it is, you know, it's listed on the website. You got, you got to kind of dig for it. But the task force was made, the very first one um, was by the executive staff at the WIAA at the time I was an athletic director. Um, they picked people and we still pick people when we have to fill in on three-year rotations. So people would rotate off every three years. And we try to split that into thirds, as you would imagine. So it's not a brand new task force every time. We represent every one of the WIAA seven districts. We also represent um, a combination of large, small, and medium-sized schools. There are athletic directors, superintendents, and principals on the committee, along with one conference commissioner. And then we also make sure we have representation from the public schools and a little representation from the private schools as well, trying to really have an all-encompassing group to represent all the stakeholders. Well, it certainly sounds like you do. And this is something that people volunteer for. Um, you know, I don't think people are in line hoping to to get on the conference realignment task force. <laughs> um, the people that do volunteer probably have been through the process and they either, you know, maybe were unhappy with it and want to get on there, or or maybe they just are more interested in it. But to start with and how this goes, it's kind of cold calls. You know, we find the people that best represent those different demographics and then cold call and ask them if they want to be. And sometimes it's twisting an arm to get it to happen because it's a lot of time and people are concerned because, as you're aware, conference realignment, especially for football, brings out. And, and it's, it's a good thing that it does because it shows how much it means to everybody. It brings out the passion and emotion sometimes in people and, and some people don't want to put themselves out there for that. So. Yeah, that's certainly understood. Um, Melissa, we, you know, we, we have a bunch of questions and I don't know, gentlemen, where we want to start. Uh, you know, I'd kind of like to do this in some kind of order where, you know, one question leads to another. Um, you know, one of the things that we came up with as a group um, was, you know, the what is the purpose or, or main goal of realignment in the eyes of the WIAA? You know, that's a great question because obviously it's called conference realignment, but it's the whole purpose of the task force and the process was to give the membership the voice in that process and make it a, a group effort and decision, um, give people a chance to appeal uh, to what the decision is. Because prior to this, if you recall at all, um, and quite literally all an athletic director would have to do was go to the fall area meeting and stand up at the end of the meeting and say, um, you know, I'm from school A and we would like to move out of our conference. And a WIA staff member would write it down. And then that staff member would take all those from all seven meetings and go back to the office. And that year would move people. And it was just done by one, one person. And then when that happened and it really expanded into all of southeastern Wisconsin and got a little bigger, people started to question, like, why is one person only doing this? Number one for that staff member is just health, because you can imagine the burden of taking on the entire state. But also just why would one person do this when there's so much at stake? So the process was established um, two cycles ago. So I would say four to five years ago to to really give members the the ability to say where they would like to go, what their plans would be. And once the plan is made to provide feedback to the board. You know, I was told many years ago, uh, you know, by a, an athletic director, actually, that he went to the fall meeting and when the time comes to stand up and actually sort of say, okay, I'm so-and-so from this school and we would like to get into a different conference. It was kind of intimidating to do that. Like he felt really funny that he got up 
and and had to say that in front of all these people and get all the you know the the, the stares and and the questions and and things you know so um I, I think the process what you've described now is probably a little easier for athletic directors to to actually move forward with those kinds of requests yeah it definitely is um it's definitely easier when it comes to what you're you know, talking about getting up and kind of maybe surprising people and stuff because you are right. forced, you are forced um, when you're applying to get information from other schools and how they feel about this. You know, you're kind of forced to do your homework. It's not easier in terms of the application. Of course, standing up and just saying you want to move <laughs> was easier, but um, the application makes you communicate with other schools. And so they're aware and they can start providing feedback right away um, in the process because we don't want someone to come and say, hey, I want to change this conference you know, because it does affect everybody, especially in football with one school moving um, without having talked to other people. And so that's forcing people to talk to each other as well, which is probably another part of this uh, that I left out when I answered the first time. It is forcing the membership to work together to to come up with solutions. That leads me into a question that I had written down, which was, you know, how does a program or a school find out that they're part of a plan like when i look at the most recent one that's going to be voted on here pretty soon um with with pewaukee when did pewaukee find out that hey right now the the newest one has us going to the classic eight um because i talked to coach frisky and he seemed kind of surprised i don't know how long he had known about it i didn't ask that but how does a school know that hey we are part of a proposal that that could send us to a new conference yeah, so there's two parts to that answer. So when it starts off and, and I apply, let's say, for conference realignment, every school that I list is an affected school. And that could be if it's a simple I'm going from conference A to conference B, all the schools in my current conference and all the schools in the conference I want to be in, they automatically get an email. You also have to prove and show evidence of your communication with all those schools to start the process to start a plan. Now, in Pewaukee's situation, there is an interesting snippet to Pewaukee situation because they are a, an outlier in this. When there were changes made to the conference realignment plans, Pewaukee was not part of it to begin with, was not part of the original December plan. And then when the conference realignment task force met to you know, fix some things here and there and try, try to make the plan better, they moved Pewaukee and that caught them off guard and caught them by surprise, which is what a lot of people heard about and Pewaukee did get caught off guard with that move. Uh, follow-up question. Okay. Paul, can I ask a follow-up question go, to go that quick? So follow-up question to that. Uh, I've had a couple different plans come across my, my email inbox from our AD. And when somebody sends one out and says, Hey, this we're, we're being talked about in this. Um, how many of those die before they ever make it to some sort of vote or something like that, because I know the ones that we've kind of been mentioned in for the most part, I don't think they've ever gotten to a spot where they're going to get voted on. How many of those are there where they, they, it, it goes out there and there's just not enough support and it just kind of dies at that level. Yeah, that's a good question. In November of this year, November 1st, when the applications have to be started, there were 72 different plans out there um, that affected a total of about 373 schools. So oh, man. you can imagine there's 518 schools in our membership. Not all of them have football. I mean, we're, we're up there. Um, then within the two weeks of time, when people started to communicate with each other, listen to each other's plans. Hey, I like that one better. I'm going to renege on my plan. I'm going to support yours. And other people just kind of fell through. We actually then looked at the original time that we looked at plans through this cycle. It went from that 72 down to about 40. It was like 39 or 40. And some of those plans still overlapped. Um, so then you take out some duplicates and we probably got down to about 38 different plans. Then we started to combine them because, you know, they, they overlap so much. We probably looked at 20 some different plans then very closely. So just in the process alone at the very beginning, it whittles itself down. Now, this year was especially um, robust when it comes to how far it spanned across the state of Wisconsin. So as you know, that eventually became one big plan versus how it's supposed to be set up and how it went the last time. There was, you know, plan A, plan B, and plan C. There was like three different plans. This one that just all melded together and became one. 
when, when you say email, where who gets the emails? Superintendent, principal, athletic director. You got it right there. Yep. The administration. So it would be the principal, superintendent, and athletic director get the automatic emails. And then most of the communication then um it depends on who in the district um is kind of uh, leading the charge for that district, but a lot of times it's the athletic director. Who is able to respond? Is the football coach able to respond or do they is it just the administration that is able to respond? There's one response. There is one response in the system, um, one response location from the school. So whoever they delineate to do that can fill it out in the system, but you can also send in supplemental documentation. So some of the school districts had, oh goodness, there's one school district and I, I just won't name them, but they also went, they had their parents start sending letters in, you know, so we were getting parent letters. We were getting, you know, we had an athletic director. We had a former AD. We had a coach. We had their coach from before. They really did a campaign to get letters sent in about how important it was for their program and the sustainability of their program to, to switch conferences. So yes, that supplemental documentation could be filled up by anybody, but only one, well, they could get together and do it, but there's only one place for you to put official information into our system in the portal, what we call it, where the applications are. You know, one of the things, Melissa, and you can imagine for guys like myself and Paul who have been involved in the WFCA for a really long time, and there have been other topics that have come up of interest for football coaches and for schools and conferences and so on, and we've always told our membership, you know, you got to get to the decision maker in your school district. And because there have been many instances where it doesn't even get down to the coach because the superintendent just takes care of it, or maybe the principal or just the AD, you know, like the, the lines of communication are such that, you know, sometimes a coach isn't even heard. And in many instances, I'm just going to say this, the coach is the person who knows best of what's good for their football program. Or, you know, if I'm a coach of any sport, right. So, you know, we have encouraged our coaches in the WFCA to make sure they know who the line of communication is, who is the spokesperson, because it may not be the superintendent. It may be the principal, you know, and whoever that person is, you make sure you get heard what you think is the best thing to do. Do you think most districts handle it that way? You know, as a former AD, I'm sitting here going, I, I certainly hope that when it comes to any of the sports, if it's talking about a certain sport for any rule change, that the AD is reaching out in this case, that you're reaching out to your football coach. You know, I feel like that should be a given. Um, can, I, can I guarantee that that's happening everywhere? No, like you said, it's about the working relationship of probably that administration, not only with the coach, but maybe superintendent to principal to athletic director as well, depending on and where they're at and what their level of football expertise is or even their how their chain of command works. So you're right. You, your coaches should advocate um, to be involved at every step of the way when their school is part of the process. Whereas this year, it was the majority of them. Paul? Well, this is one of the reasons we started this whole podcast. We, our association is a growing number of coaches who are not teachers, and they they may be just brand new coaches. So it is very important for the coaches, as Tom had alluded to, to get involved in that process and find this out. And I cannot reiterate how important it is for the coach to develop that communication. Obviously, Melissa, with your athletic director background, you know this, but a lot of times school districts, especially smaller ones, they're somewhat dysfunctional because this person is a farmer and works here and can't do, can't do this. And and. I, and some coaches are like finding out and really their school knew about it, but nothing. Right. was. Wrong. I, yeah. And, you know, in some of the smaller schools too, the athletic director is also teaching all day. And so it's even yeah. harder for them to connect. And then we do have to remember that when we do conference realignment, especially for a younger coach that could be listening now that maybe it's just getting involved, you know, they're, they're, you know, up to their, you know, foreheads and everything when it comes the minutia of coaching and what to do in the postseason, everything else come come November. And we're talking two years out for conference realignment. Some people can't wrap their brain around what's happening right now. I got to get them in the weight room. I got to do all this, let alone for me to be concerned about two years from now, um, what conference we're going to be in. 
So you do have to change your mindset a little bit and you just have to, to plan that out and just know, and that's what we hope with the timelines. It just gets to be part of what we do, similar to what you do every, especially football coaches, you know, there's kind of that structure every week that the guys are following, you know, when the coaching staff is meeting, what we're doing, just knowing that in November then, and some of them are in the playoffs at the time. So they're preoccupied, but starting in November that this is happening and we just have to keep an ear to the ground, so to speak, that you know, what's happening in case your school does get named or is affected by the plan. I mean, obviously we want to get to the point where it's not this huge undertaking like it was this year where it's affecting the whole state. We want to get to the point where people are requesting conference realignment. There's a few, right? Not 372 affected schools every year. We want to get to a point where it's less and less. You know, I made the point in the last podcast that we had that I'm just using my my own coaching career as an example um, at Wauwatosa East. Uh, we went to four different conferences in 13 years. And I, I never at any point moving from one conference to the other did I ever think that it was that big a deal. And I think the, the reason for that was, you know, that's back in the days when only the conference champ would go to the playoffs. And then we expanded it to the first and second place teams. And then once it got to, you had a winning record, you know, you could get into the playoffs. That's when people got a taste of playoff football. And and many schools, you know, didn't come to the dance until very late for that. And now that, you know, most schools probably at some point in their school history has been to the football playoffs, you know, now all of a sudden, you know, that is the driving force for, for realignment is being able to do that. And, um, you know, not that we're going to get into something like all play tonight, because I know Tom Shafransky is the guy for that. But even in our discussion, Melissa, you mentioned that, you know, there are a lot of things that could affect this in the future. And generally speaking, would the WIAA kind of welcome that kind of thing to put sort of this conference realignment every two years on the on the back burner? I'm telling you your lives early. Yeah, as as the liaison now, you know, having been on the task force and and working through all that, and then being the liaison now, I would say um, absolutely. If we can land on something uh, for the playoff structure or expansion, whatever word you want to use, um, that will help the conference realignment process. We've got two things going on when it comes to conference realignment and why people come and change. Now, the task force is supposed to be focused. Um, strictly on geography and enrollment. And that's what they try to base their decisions on. But when people come and want a new conference, it's because of what you said. How can I potentially make the playoffs in a certain conference is is one part of that. But then there are some schools that how can I, you know, sustain my program and not get beat up weeks one through nine? I don't even care if we make playoffs. I need some place to play where my kids are going to feel some sort of success and they don't just go get beat up every, every Friday night. And then they keep coming back, you know, it's getting harder and harder for some of those schools. So there are some of those too. So both of those, we have to take into consideration and there are options that are floating around out there that, that could potentially help that. And if we could get that out of the way, that whole playoff piece of it out of the way, um, and maybe find some sort of solution to that, I think conference realignment then would not be it you know i mean it would be easier i guess for lack of a better word um people would people would be looking more at geography and enrollment then if they didn't have to worry about getting so many wins uh, to get into the playoffs from their conference schedule so yeah i do i i would open that with open you know i would welcome that with open arms and i'm really looking forward to what tom comes up with um as he starts the process again through that you know, we're talking about this realignment process, and there is a vote coming up. When, when is the vote? March 7th, there are the plan, the current plan, as stated on January 13th, that everybody saw and that is on the website, is being voted on by the Board of Control. They can do three things with it. They can vote to just accept it as is, and that would be our plan for 2024 and 2025. They could deny it completely, which means then we stay status quo for 24 and 25. 
Or the third option is they can remand it back to the task force yet. There's one more opportunity for that to happen, which is this meeting. Remanding means that they say, hey, this part of the plan, this part of the plan, this part of the plan, or maybe the whole plan, we want you to relook at this because we don't think you found the best solution yet. We need you to relook at it and come up with something else and bring it back to us in April. So that could be the third the third option that comes out of Tuesday's meeting. Now that I'm sure you don't know the how it's going to be voted or anything, and we're not asking even if you didn't know, you know, but I can only imagine that if if this were uh, voted down, that um, that would make a whole lot of people unhappy. And even if you remand it and you you change some portions of the plan, that um, it's still going to get really heated and and people will um, you know do the best they can to, to get what they want. Um, so the best thing would be is of course would be if you know the, the original plan was such that you know everybody kind of accepted it but that's probably never going to happen so what are, what is your feeling in terms of if it gets remanded how much time do they have to to put something together then if it gets remanded in whole or in part, uh, the Conference Realignment Task Force already has a face-to-face -face meeting established at the beginning of April where they would get together for an entire day and look at the different parts or maybe the whole plan, whatever it may be. And then if they need more time, they continue to meet virtually. The last time they met, they actually had to spend the night and use two, two days of time uh, to try to work through some of the different, um, you know, the different appeals and the different plans that were brought forward. On Tuesday, March 7th, we have 10 different appeals coming up. Um, two of them are in, in small groups representing a, a conference. Um, and of those, of those 10, all of them were at the January meetings to appeal as well. And they, they didn't get a solution that they liked. And so they're coming back to appeal directly to the board. You know, that's down from the 52, which had, I believe, six group, groups of people in that 52 um, from, from December. So it is funneling down. Obviously, the goal is to probably have everybody happy and content with where they're at. But we all know being coaches and administrators and teachers and everything that we do that making everybody happy is darn right impossible. But obviously, I mean, that's that's the lofty goal we would have, but we also know it's pretty unobtainable. So we're trying to work it. It's it's working itself down. Like I said, 10 is much better than 50 that we had a month ago. And there are a lot of people that have written letters in support of this plan that the board has to, because we're only hearing appeals. We're not hearing anybody speak in favor. So we have quite a few letters that were written, though, to keep it as is. Um, Melissa, how, how many people vote on this what's the what's the total number of, of votes that go into this and how are how are they directed to vote in terms of like what qualification not qualification what factors are they supposed to take into consideration when voting on the plan that whether yes no or remand um you know kind of what are the guidelines as what they're told of in how should you vote not not how should you vote but like what are you taking into that consideration when you pick what your vote is going to be? The Board of Control is a good question because they are representing their districts and can vote where they, um, just like your Board of Education, you know, they can really vote on where they truly believe what is right, wrong, and different. They We're not necessarily given any guidance per se. Um, I think it'll be if enough, if there's compelling evidence that there's a better solution, which a lot of these 10 people are coming with other solutions they think are better. If they find compelling evidence there, they're going to vote to remand their part of the plan back. Um, the, the task force, when they vote, because they also take votes within their committee, they are supposed to be strictly looking at geography and enrollment. So looking at the maps, looking at enrollment, trying to get people together that are in a geographic location close enough and of similar enrollment. They do have some guidance. And then they have to pair up people into taking the WFCA's um, guidance there in eights or paired sevens. We hope to get there um, with conferences there. And sometimes, you know, there happens to be a six that slips in. I don't think there is this time, but 
Um, so we got to look at that as well. So that's kind of their parameters. The board can vote however he or she wants to. Follow-up question, kind of to Tom uh, Swiddles uh, talking about the timeline. What is the absolute last date that you are required to have something in place to um, so that the 2024-2025 seasons conferences are, are set in stone for that time period? The very last, according to the process, vote that can happen on this is at the end of April. So this would be the last time the Board of Control could remand it and have the task force look at it again to bring something back to them in April, and then they have to take action one way or the other. So if we don't have a decision, if there's no decision, then that means it stays as is, and and we will know by May 1st then what the conferences are for 24-25. Yes. Yep. In that regard, you would, because the last meeting is April, I believe, 24th or 25th is the annual meeting. 24th is that board meeting. You know, given your timeline, Melissa, well, not yours, but the timeline set up for this, um, you know, you have the the prospects of schools moving to eight-man football. And that's got to make this really hard, you know, because in 25, you know, we could have somebody who's decides to go eight-man football. So, how does that get worked into the equation when when you're looking at something for 2024, 2025, and you may not even know all of the schools that would be playing eight-man football at that time? Yeah, and that is another thing with that forward thinking, and that's tough for people because if you are struggling for numbers and you have to make a determination two years out, that is really, really hard for coaches and administrators to do. But by October 1st of that realignment year, so October 1st of this year, you had to determine whether you were going to be eight man or 11 man. So then the conference realignment task force could align you as such. Now, people can switch back and forth. We saw it this year. Um, you know, there are sanctions for pulling out of it. But some of those schools that are going, hey, we don't even have the guys and gals, I guess we don't have the players um, to participate in 11, we're going to go eight. We don't care what the sanctions are. We weren't going to make the playoffs anyway, because the sanction is usually two years out of the playoffs. So um, we have a situation even right now with a school that just communicated with us recently and said, you know, depending on how the March 7th meeting goes and depending on how this conference realignment goes, we might pull out of our 11 man and play eight man already. They're already saying that. And as you know, then you take the eights and you take those paired sevens and you pull that one out. It starts to it, it's a it's a trickle down effect. It it yeah. does throw the whole thing off. It's like a, it's like a domino. So it it gets pretty complicated um, when when that can when that happens off cycle. When when people declare it on cycle, which I mean October first of this year, so we can put them in the appropriate conferences. All right, fine. But it's that off cycle switching from eight and and we had two schools go back come back to 11 um that's what we wanted to see happen um but it does throw the whole thing it throws the whole thing off because now we're looking for a place for you to play an eight man too and we did the same thing we paired them up an eight man and everything else so it's it it can really it can really throw a wrench in things let's put it that way and you add in the the sun prairie you know, splitting of schools, and then you add in the Wassa East and West combining of schools, and all that work that you've also done happens to, you know, to throw things off again. Right. And fortunately, for those two instances, we had, you know, we had the heads up and, and we could put them in, you know, we had the two year warning for some prairie. Um, and then Wassa, we knew that that was potentially coming had it not turned out the way it was. Um, we would have probably been scrambling a little bit if they still were going to have two programs. But, um, you know, again, if it's on cycle and at our deadlines, okay, we can work with you. But when things happen off off cycle, now now we have issues. Eight-man eight football is humongous in the northern part of the, the state. And I, I just see it growing. Um, I see it causing more issues. Because much, Melissa, like you've alluded to, some of these teams are faced with either we go eight-man or we don't play football. And that that's going to change things. And my question is this, did the task force realign? Because eight-man was realigned just recently for the upcoming season. 
And and how was that determined? Was it determined exactly like 11 man or is there something different? No, this year through the process, it was aligned like 11 man. We tried to keep it in the eights and sevens the best we could. Obviously, you know, if you don't have a multiple, <laughs> you know, you have an outlier, you're going to have an outlier. And that's where it comes down to there too, is you got to go based on the numbers. And sometimes you just can't, you can't split them that way. When you mentioned that, you know, people are, a lot of people are going to eight man. There's also the situation of schools that can definitely have an 11 man team, but they're watching all the schools around them. And in their conference switched yeah. to eight man. And they're like, well, heck, what are we now? We got to travel three, four hours to get to an 11 man team. If we just play eight man, even though we won't be eligible for the playoffs, you know, at least we can still be playing in our conference schools, the ones that are around us. So we're seeing that happen a little bit too. And people are concerned um, about what's going to happen when things go that direction too. That gentleman could be a whole nother podcast in itself with, oh, with it, it will be. people. Yeah. <laughs> It will be without question. It will be. And, and I understand exactly what you're saying there, Melissa. I, there, there are small schools that want to remain 11 man, but they're going to have no choice, but to go eight man. And that's, in my opinion, that's, that's really sad, you know, and I wish we could do more for those small schools that want to remain 11 man, but I, I don't know what you can do to be honest with you. You know, I think people would be surprised, Melissa, to know that this task force isn't just about football. I mean, the task force deals with all sports. Can you give us an idea of the other things besides football that the task force deals with? Yeah, it's kind of amazing, I think, because football um, is so dependent on your conference standings for playoffs and such. We separated out football. And all 21, 22 other sports are all encompassing in the other process. So that's how how football, you know, how important football is. We removed it from the rest because what was happening when we were trying to do conferences a lot and, and realign back in the day of standing up and, and declaring like we already talked about, everyone would be like, yeah, that's great, except for my football team. You know, it's got some uniqueness to it. We have to separate it. So when the task force was developed they said we have to do football separate from all the other sports so what we're seeing now is even a different trend with the other sports um you know your basketballs your baseball softball um hockey is a little bit different because not everybody has hockey but your senior sports like tennis and um, soccer that they're kind of shying away from their default conferences because not everybody has those sports. So what we're seeing now is these little branches off of the default sports too, that we have to handle on that side. Um, so on the all sport non-football side, I think that's our biggest task. Uh, but football is still a bigger beast with the one sport for conference realignment than even doing all of those in an, in an off year. So. Well, well, again, I, I think we're hitting on a fundamental problem that runs everything. In the other sports, everybody's in the playoffs. Everybody's in a bracket. So you can say, I can play in a tough conference and I can still have a shot. Where in football, and because of how physical football is, you may not have the bodies and you may not make uh, the playoffs. And that that's a real issue. And I'll give you an example. Shyocton plays in, they're the smallest school in the central Wisconsin uh, large. And they finished toward the bottom, but were able to make the playoffs. They made it to state because they were playing teams like Stratford and you know Spencer, bigger team, Wittenberg, bigger teams in enrollment. They survived enough, but there were years that they don't make the playoffs, even though they're not a bad football team. Right. And then it, it circles back to what we kind of talked about earlier is, is how the, how we handle the football, all playoffs goes hand in hand with this com this conference realignment piece of it. And if we can get a handle on that playoff piece of it, I think conference realignment will just get easier and easier for all of us. So Melissa, I'm going to put you on the spot. Nobody's <laughs> okay. put you on the spot yet. It's my, we're going to do that. No, it's really not on the spot, but if you were to come up with a solution to all of this, what would be your solution? How, how do we get rid of the two-year cycle of appealing, you know, conference um, affiliation? You know, I don't, <laughs> my dear colleague, Tom, he might, he might not like me saying this, but I do 100% <laughs> think that 
we need to figure out a playoff structure that um, can allow people in when they want to. I think there needs to be an opt out by like maybe week six, because there's some people that just don't don't want in looking at where they're at, um, that we don't have to concern ourselves anymore, like the other sports, with where we land in conference play in order to make the playoffs because everybody is looking for we need easy wins or you know they're they're trying to balance that out when a lot of other sports get to schedule I want to schedule you know it's up to the coach I want to schedule the toughest non-cons I can and I want to be in tough conferences because I want to get better for the postseason where football coaches have this well you know, I do want that, but at the same time, I gotta be careful because I need to get these, this many wins. I want to play some of these schools. So I don't want them to leave. Yes, they deserve relief. And I feel bad for their school because they hardly are keeping their program alive, but I kind of need them in my conference to guarantee, you know, maybe have a, a good win. Um, it, it just kind of creates um, a culture and an environment in, in that sport that, that we don't have in the other sports um, because of that. And I think conference realignment would would help. I would love to see great football games all through weeks one through nine of, you know, the toughest programs playing the toughest programs because they don't have to worry about, you know, the wins or loss. They're just going to go out there and battle. And if they win great and if they lose, they learn and they got better, but they're not worried about, Oh my gosh, what does this have to do? Are we going to be able to play in the postseason? So, yeah, I think there has to be something that people can, everybody can play if they choose to play at the in the postseason tom uh let me play a devil's advocate for a second does does all play and i know that's a tom shafransky question but i'm going to turn it i'm going to swing it back to you here in a second does all play solve the conference realignment because even if a team is one and eight or two and seven and makes the playoffs and then gets beaten the playoffs I still think there's going to be a lot of teams that say, well, we still can't compete in that conference and we want more success in the regular season. We want to try and, you, you know, we want to be six and three. We want to, we, we think we can find a conference that suits us better to find more wins. Um, does it solve all the problems or is there still some stuff there that you could see uh, where, where it's still, still not people happy? Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think there, there'll always be something that people are upset about. I think, you know, if we had all, all of the issues, though, in, in, a, in a jar and we poured out all the ones that would be solved if we could fix this playoff thing, I think there'd just be a couple manageable ones left that are pretty natural just based on competition and people wanting wanting to win all the time, which we know can't happen. Um, I, again, if everybody if everybody was in somehow or could opt out somehow, and they didn't have that on the back of their minds. I think conference realignment, they'd be like, yeah, please just have us play good competition as close to us. And there's your geography and enrollment. And it would just, it would just ease that. Um, but again, this is Tom's world and our football coaches and athletic directors and everybody else <laughs> that's going to put this together. So. Paul. <laughs> well, and, and you hit it. I, I think you've got two conflicting people that want factors you're really talking about geography and enrollment. And I think some people don't look at that. And to me, that is the ultimate fair competition. You know, and I get situations are different, but when, when people start looking at other factors, that's really not the task. It's it's difficult for the task force to try to manage those. Right. And then when you think about that, so I appreciate you bringing that up, geography and enrollment, um, you know, is, is you think is pretty straightforward. But when you get to more populous areas where there's a lot of enrollment that is close in a in a small geographic area, now there are some choices being made too. And it's like, well, why, why, why? And it's great questions. But then you move up north where the enrollment is matching and they're spread out and you really don't have room to move with stuff. You really don't have any options. And so there's a uniqueness there too in more populated areas where there's a lot of schools of similar enrollment and how that could all be divided up versus in you know an up north situation um, with maybe the bigger schools, let's say, and there's really not a lot of not a lot of room to to move people around, even if they wanted to. So um yeah, geography and enrollment is what the WIA um, you know, is based upon. We want geographic representation from all across our state. That's one of the premises for the state tournament divides, everything else. But it always, um, it gets questioned in everything. 
why is that sectional split up like that? Why is this? Why is that? Especially in more populated areas. And, and I think we'll always have that, but that would be nice just to be able to get back to that. Tom? Question question for you, Melissa. When you look at popu uh, population, or sorry, enrollment and geography, is there a a number that you go by that that you, you know, is it 1.2 times enrollment? Or is there something where you say, that school that 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 is outside of being close in enrollment you know what i mean when you look at a team that is you know 1500 kids and then there's a team of 800 is there a spot where you say or you know and i know it changes by division because the smaller the schools the quicker those numbers get spread out uh, but is there a spot where you say that's just too big of an enrollment difference as a committee where, you, where we don't like that anymore there's not a magic formula, but when I was on the committee and I, I wasn't privy to all the conversations this year, but, you know, we would look at it and start to look at where their default conference was, the conference they're in for all their other sports, where they kind of accept where they're at and kind of look at that discrepancy and look at what the discrepancy between the top school and the bottom school is in the conferences around um, their area, if it was a more populated area. Um like I said, in some places up north, for example, you you really you can't do too much about it. Um, so is there a magic number? No. Um, I, I hate to say that it's just kind of a ballpark. You you look at it and be like, wow, that you got the top school is one and a half times the size of the smallest. They're not going to you know, that's not good. Is there another place you can go and you kind of start moving it around like puzzle pieces? Well, no, this is actually a better fit. They're all closer over here in average. Well, then we can move this one over here and it, it kind of just ends up going that direction when there's a lot of schools involved sometimes so this one this one had a lot of schools involved so there was a lot of different directions things could have went paul melissa have we taken a look at what the other states are doing what minnesota iowa michigan illinois are doing and seeing if they've got some similar problems and how they're solving them yeah, I know when they developed the task force, they did a study on a whole bunch of schools around and across the nation that the association was responsible for conference realignment. There are some school or excuse me, some states that it's just in the hands of the athletic directors and, and the school administrators as to what's a conference. And that was asked of the membership back. Do, do you want the WIA to handle this? Do you want to handle it on your own? And that was, and, and this would, you know, you'd have to ask staff, Tom, more so the history with the exact conversations, but that was a no. They wanted the WIA to continue um, to, you know, puppeteer or, or facilitate um, the conference realignment for for all sports and so um they did look at it they tried to make a hybrid of what they thought was good from a bunch of different states to see if it would work with us and they do we do keep changing things every year to try to make this a better situation <clears throat> excuse me for example this year i know they're going to try to bring up maybe a february uh feedback meeting which isn't in there right now for a school like pewaukee like we brought up to be able to come and, and appeal and 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 state their feedback too, and then potentially have the task force look at it again, where in this particular step, there is not that meeting. So that's gonna hopefully be added the next time we do this cycle so we don't have a situation like this. A couple of years ago, we caught um, a few schools by surprise from the Badger Conference and they were upset because they felt like um, they didn't know it was coming. And so we added a step there. So everybody had the opportunity um, to come and, and state their feedback and, and didn't feel surprised by things. So every year we do it, we're adding things to it. There's constant conversations with other people to see, you know, what they're doing in their state. I don't think anybody has it perfected or we'd all be following the same model. Um, there's some people that have asked us for our uh, flow chart. There's a flow chart online because they want to kind of look at how we're running things even. Um, I know Steph talked at a national meeting in the fall about our process. So um, it's not perfect, um, but we're trying, you know, like I said, we're, we're trying, we know it's not probably possible, but we're trying to get there. Well, and again, having been involved, um, with the WFCA for a long time, I've been on the football advisory now for, I don't know, 11, 12 years, whatever it is. Um, I can tell you that in my opinion, I don't think the WFCA and the WIA has ever worked better together 
than what we've done, you know, in recent years. And I really credit Wade Lebecki for that, um, you know, former football coach and really understood, you know, where we were coming from as an organization. But I, I really feel like the WIAA and the WFCA have worked really well together. And I, I really believe that the WIAA always has uh, the best interest of the state in mind in any decision that is made. Now, as we've talked about, not everybody's going to be happy, you know, right. but it's it certainly isn't a situation where, um, you know, the WIA isn't working hard on the behalf of its membership. And um, Melissa, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast. Uh, we've reached our time limit and uh, um, the openness and the honesty that you've you know exhibited tonight just speaks volumes to what I'm talking about. So, Melissa, thank you so much. Um, we really appreciate it. Um, I, you're on my speed dial now. So, <laughs> no problem. <laughs> so, you know, I won't hesitate to reach out to you um, for more information if that's true to come up. And and I want to thank Paul and Tom uh, for being a part of this as well tonight. Um, Melissa, you haven't heard me say this before, but they're the brains of the operation. Those two guys, um, they make sure everything gets done. I'm just the pretty face that's not on video. We only do audio. So yeah, pretty face for radio. huh? Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so anyway, um, but again, thank you so much, um, Paul or Tom. Do you guys have anything you'd like to say in closing? Tom, no, Paul. Anything? Hey, thank you, Melissa. I appreciate it. And I'm just glad we got a lot of questions out there. There's there's probably more questions eventually because a lot of people don't understand the process. Yeah, they yeah, really don't. And I appreciate you guys doing this because this is a way for them maybe to learn some things and and hopefully to listening if something pops into their mind, you know, they can either, you know, direct it to you or even, you know, direct it directly to me, send me an email, give me a call and, and we can talk through it when it comes to the process because, um, you know, like I said, it's it's good that it's emotional. It's good that people are passionate about it. That shows that everybody cares so much. But um so when you said at the beginning, you got stuck with it. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe I did, but it really is. It is really good. And I get, I get to meet people like you guys and, and, and see coaches doing great things and athletic directors. So I appreciate the time tonight. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. And to our faithful listeners out there, um, again, don't ever hesitate to contact myself or Paul or Tom. If you've got questions or comments or perhaps topics you'd like us to see cover in this podcast. So with that being said, um, we're going to say goodbye from episode three of the WFCA podcast, and we hope everybody has a great day. Thank you.